Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. You can always look to time the market or wait for the next correction or crash, but just take action. If you have an interest, you got some capital, you think you have a sound investment plan, it's obviously important to have a plan and run the numbers and the math to make sure it makes sense. But at some point, you just got to jump in and take action. Real quick, before the episode, I want to give you a gift of 25% off. And that gift actually is from TransUnion Smart Move. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. Because as landlords, we tend to be most concerned with getting paid on time. You might also know that hundreds of thousands of landlords have to deal with the headaches of evicting tenants each year. Evicting a tenant can be painful, costing as much as $10,000 in court costs and legal fees, and take as long as four weeks to complete. What if there's a trusted way to help prevent the headaches of dealing with evicting a tenant? Make the smart move right from the start. Smart Move's online tenant screening solution can help you quickly understand if you're getting a reliable tenant, which will help you avoid potential problems such as non-payment and evictions. For a limited time, listeners of this podcast are invited to try Smart Move tenant screening for 25% off. Here's how Smart Move can help you find your next great tenant. Make a more informed decision with Smart Move's proprietary credit score built specifically for tenant screening, which predicts evictions 15% better than a typical credit score. Reduce non-payment risk with Smart Move's Income Insights Report, which enables you to analyze the applicant's income within minutes and determine if additional income verification is needed. Get critical information quickly with a full credit report, criminal background, and eviction history report. With over 5 million screenings completed, SmartMove can help you make a better leasing decision for your rental property. If you own a rental property, SmartMove can help you identify the right renter from the start so you can avoid the problems of non-payment or evictions. Don't put yourself at risk. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. With TransUnion Smart Move, you'll get great reports, great convenience, great tenants. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Rob Stevens. How you doing, Rob? Great. Thanks for having me, Joe. Well, I'm glad to hear it and looking forward to our conversation. A little bit about Rob. He's the co-founder of Avalara My Lodge Tax which was formed in 2002 out of his own necessity to understand and manage compliance with his rental property. He helps homeowners, hotel operators, and other businesses with short-term lodging tax regulations based in Inglewood, Colorado. With that being said, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? 
Sure. You touched on it, but 20 years ago, I purchased a second home in Vail, wanted to generate rental income on it because I needed to do that to be able to afford the property, which is pretty common. Put it up on some of these short-term rental sites, which were very new at the time. Worked great, but through that experience, realized there's a bunch of other things I need to do to be successful at this. One of them being collecting remitting lodging taxes, which I didn't know really anything about at the time. So it was really through that experience, we built what we think is a very simple solution for people that are engaged in short-term rentals. And that's really our focus, is to leverage technology to provide cloud-based or internet-based, very simple solutions for people to be charging the right taxes, collecting them from their guests, paying into the jurisdictions on the right time. And we handle all of those tax tasks for people. So that's really our purpose is that helping people with that kind of back office function that are that, of tax that are involved in short-term rentals. Okay. Let's talk about this. Love to learn more. What are lodging taxes and aren't they already accounted for on the site that you have your house on? Great question. Two-part question. The first is what are lodging taxes? So really the same taxes that hotels pay. By and large, a hotel is going to be paying the same sales and lodging taxes that a short-term rental apartment, single-family home, condo, whatever the property type is, with a few exceptions. But generally, it's the same types of taxes. It's called different things. Sometimes it's sales tax, sometimes it's hotel tax, room tax, lodging tax, accommodations tax. So it's a tax on short-term renting. And I think some people miss that at the beginning. They think, I'm not a hotel. This doesn't apply to me. If you actually read the laws, it's, it's pretty broad. Any type of property you're renting, providing overnight accommodations is going to trip these taxes. Secondly, yeah, there's a lot of change going on in the short-term rental industry. One of those things is the big platforms, one of them being Airbnb, starting a couple of years ago, have decided to collect remit some of the taxes on their own. So in certain markets, they are collecting remitting some of the taxes. Usually they're doing state taxes. And I don't know how in the weeds we want to get, Joe, but a lot of these taxes, for most locations in the U.S., there's a state tax you have to pay, like the Department of Revenue, but then there's very often a city or county tax you have to pay, too. So what's happening now is Airbnb is paying most of the state taxes, but they're not paying the city and county taxes that then leave the host the responsibility to collect or remit some of these taxes. And then they're really the only platform right now broadly paying taxes, so if people are on Verbo or Booking.com or TripAdvisor, they're going to need to collect and remit the taxes because that platform isn't handling it. How much are we talking? Just specific, maybe use an example for a certain market. Sure. I think these taxes are a lot. The average, I would tell you, is 10 to 12%. Whoa. And that's of gross rent. So if you're charging a guest $200 a night or $2,000 for the week, it's an extra 10 or 12% on top of that. When you get into urban markets, the taxes typically are 15% or higher. Chicago actually has over a 23% tax on short-term rentals now. So you get into big urban cities, kind of like rental cars, hotels, it's, it's easy for those big municipalities, it's a good revenue source for those cities to tax the type of activity because it's not residents, it's travelers and, and guests to the community. So these taxes tend to be very high. And if you're missing it, you're not doing it, it, it can add up to be a pretty significant amount over time if you're not collecting it from your guest. I would imagine the majority of people are not accounting for this or even paying it. What would your guess be? 
That's a great question. We have that debate here internally, and I generally think you're correct. And look, it's gotten a lot better, I'd say, in the last couple of years. There's a lot more awareness and focus on this issue. And look, short-term rentals have really become a mainstream part of the travel segment. I suspect a lot of your listeners are engaged in this or they have long-term properties. They may be actually looking at getting into that market. And I do think, by and large, there's some people doing it, but I think there's a pretty high non-compliance rate. Now, whether that's is that 80% non-compliance or 50%, I don't think anybody knows for certain, but I'm hoping to help with that. There's a lot more room to go in terms of being compliant. And I believe it's just a matter of time. If we're going to be a real legitimate industry, protecting our property rights in these cities and these communities, one of the things we're all going to have to do is make sure we're paying these taxes. What are the consequences of not being compliant as a rental property owner? So your obligation is to collect the tax. And typically, the way to think about this is the guest, the traveler, they pay the tax. If it's a 10% tax, you charge that guest an extra 10%, they pay it. Your obligation as an operator is to collect it and then remit it to the different agencies. So I always tell our customers, look, this isn't really an economic cost to you. This is kind of a pass-through. It's just your cost of doing business. You have to collect these taxes from your guests. But if you're not doing it, typically what they'll do is audit or inquire and go back typically at least two or three years, typically not more than four or five years, unless they believe there's some sort of fraud or something like that involved. And they'll look to pull your income tax returns or whatever records they can to validate how many rentals you had. And then if it's a 10 or 12% tax and you're doing $30,000 a year in rent, which is pretty typical for a short-term rental, you're looking at three or $4,000 a year in tax. So the liability can add up quickly and then they'll slap on penalties and interest on top of that, which can unfortunately be pretty significant. Those penalties can be easily 25, 50%. We've seen it happen, unfortunately, to customers or new customers come in with a problem. So it can be thousands of dollars of back taxes plus penalties and interest. Mm -hmm. What's the worst scenario that someone's come to you with? (laughs) The worst scenario, these governmental agencies have a lot of power. So in the tax world, it's probably like in your markets, your multifamily or long-term rental markets, every property has a property tax. And if you don't pay your property tax bill, ultimately the tax agency can put a tax lien on your property. Same thing in the hotel tax, lodging tax world. If you're not paying your taxes, they can make an assessment against your property for back tax due. And if you don't pay it, they'll put a tax lien on the property. And then anytime the property sold, that's when they can step in there and recover their funds. Obviously, worst, worst case is they're seizing the property. I don't know that we've ever seen a property seized, but we've certainly seen people with tax liens and had to sell their property just to get out from under that liability. So tell us more about what you all have come up with as a solution. Historically, all these taxes, it's a manual process. If somebody's short-term renting, they have to go to the state site, figure out the state requirements, go to their city site, figure out what the requirements are for the city, maybe even go to the county. So there's multiple agencies involved multiple forms. You have to register with these different agencies. You have to pay tax, usually monthly and quarterly, these different agencies. So there's a fair amount of moving parts and complexity. And to what we were talking about earlier, Joe, the rank and file person involved in this space just has never dealt with these types of taxes before. So they're not aware of it. So what we really try to do is really just with technology, solve all of that. So sometimes I'll use the analogy Think of it like TurboTax, but for hotel taxes. So we have a software platform. Customer can sign up. 
they put in the property address that they're renting. We immediately tell them what the correct, accurate tax rate is to charge from the guest. Then they populate that on their Airbnb account or Verbo account. They collect the tax from the guest. We handle all the moving parts of registering them, filling out the paperwork, get all that in place, whatever licenses are needed. And then at that point, they're really all set up. It becomes a monthly cadence of just they report whatever their rent was for the month, and there's automated processes around this. They report their monthly rent, and then based on that, we calculate the taxes, file, and remit them on their behalf. So from our customer perspective, really all they have to do is come to the website, sign up, put in their profile, their address, some of their profile information, and we take it from their rates. We register them and file and pay the tax, and we just make sure everything's done on time correctly. The way we describe it, it's really a way for a host or a homeowner or an investor just to put all this on autopilot and make sure these taxes are done. And at a price point of $20 per month per property. So we think it's good value in leveraging technology to solve what's kind of a headache for most people. Oh, absolutely. Big time headache for most people. And if it's not a headache for them, then they're probably not doing it. So then it will be a major migraine in the future. It's funny you say that because some of our best customers, the most eager to sign up are often people that have been doing this on their own and understand the monthly filings that have to be done in some of the paperwork or have tried to do it on their own or confused or frustrated or, or simply don't have time. And a $20 a month price point, they're happy to just say, you know what, put this on autopilot, take care of this for me. Yes. With certain markets, one of them being close-ish to you, Denver, Colorado, moving mm-hmm. away from short-term rentals and then being more medium-term, so over a month, because just regulations are, sure. are against the short term. What are the tax implications and reporting implications for medium-term rentals versus short-term? Sometimes it's really good on the tax side. For Colorado, so we've talked about these are short taxes on short-term rentals. So in most states, in most locations, that's 30 days. Mm-hmm. So once you flip over and you're doing, you use the term medium-term, so once you're doing monthly rentals or longer, you're going to be out from under having to collect and file all these taxes. So that's good news. That that burden is gone. Now, in some states like New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, it's 90 days. Big travel state like Florida, Hawaii, it's 180 days. So some states do have longer definitions of short term. But to use your example of Denver would be a city where if you're doing monthly rentals, then you wouldn't have to deal with the hotel tax portion of it. So that's good. Now, I always tell people, unfortunately, the short-term rentals are in high demand, and I'm sure you have a lot of your listeners that have realized that in certain markets, they can generate very high rents on kind of a nightly, weekly basis relative to a long-term rental contract. So yeah, it's great. In 30 days, you avoid the complications and expense of administering these taxes, but I think most people in this market realize the short-term is certainly the most lucrative, but again, there's increasing regulation and limitations in certain cities on people's ability to do that. What else should we talk about that we haven't talked about already as it relates to your business and real estate investors and short-term rental tax? I would say I'm a short-term rental property owner myself, which is how I got into this. I suspect your listening audience probably has mainly long-term investors, but I'm sure a lot of those people are getting in the short-term rental space. What I would say is a couple things. I think the big platforms, meaning like Airbnb, VRBO, They've invested a lot of money over the last decade. It's getting easier and easier to do. So if people are thinking about this, I would encourage them, take the leap, 
The other part of it is you hear lots of noise about tax and regulation. There is some of that. Again, there are services like ours that can cover the tax piece. I think the regulation sometimes is overstated. I mean, there are cities where there's real challenges, but in most places across the U.S., you can still short-term rent without too many problems. And then the, the other thing is sometimes people have talked to, look, we're in a community. We have tens of thousands of short-term rental property owners. I go to conferences. There's often angst about wear and tear or partiers or what that short-term rental crowd's going to be like. And I can tell you, by and large, these are responsible travelers, higher than average incomes. A lot of times it's families going to events or vacationers if you're in a ski market or a beach market or a lake market. The issue of high turnover in your property or damage. I've been doing this for 20 years and I probably have one instance where there was some sort of issue that I had with a guest. So again, if people are thinking about it, I think a lot of people are very successful at it. It's a hot space. The nightly rents can be very attractive. So again, I'm a short-term rental advocate. I would encourage people that if they're looking at it, to don't hesitate, give it a try. 20 years. You've been doing short-term rentals for 20 years? Yeah, that means I'm A, I'm old, but yeah, <laughs> I've been doing it. Yeah, we, we bought this in 1999 and put it on our property in Vail on VRBO. So I've seen a lot of change. It's a completely different industry, obviously, than it was 20 years ago. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Airbnb wasn't around, right? Yeah, Airbnb came along around, I think, 2009 or 10. Yeah. And there was no online booking. Nobody took credit card payments. You had to call somebody or email somebody. It was a much more difficult experience. Kind of one of my points is it's becoming easier and easier, and travelers love it, and it's getting easier for travelers. Travelers want that instant book. They want to have that same hotel booking experience with a vacation rental which is pulling more travelers into this segment. So it's a lot of progress, a lot of exciting things happening. Let's talk about your short-term rental. How many do you have right now? I have one short-term rental and one long-term rental. One short-term run, long-term. Okay. So with the short-term, have you had multiple short-terms at one point in time? I have not. I've had multiple different short-term rentals, but not multiple at one time. Okay. Got it. So this one that you have now is not the one that you started with. Correct. Okay. Tell us about how your thought process for buying one, selling it, and then continuing to go until you've reached today, the one that you have now. Sure. I live in Denver. For a lot of us on the front range that grew up in Colorado, lifelong skiers, owning mountain property or properties in the ski resorts is, is a big goal. So for us, that first purchase was I would say as much or more a lifestyle decision than it was investment. And I think when you get into the short-term rental space, especially the vacation rental segment of that, that's a lot of the mindset. People like, I like to go to Myrtle Beach, or I like to go to South Florida, or I like to ski in Vail. I'm going to purchase a property there, anchor there, I'm going to go there. I'm going to build equity over time. There certainly was the investment thesis too, that if you looked over time, real estate in a market like Vail was phenomenal. And it just gets more and more expensive so my psychology, and this was you know, 20 years ago, is at some point you got to just kind of jump in, make that commitment. And when we did that at the time, we couldn't afford just to own a second property on our own and pay that mortgage. So we needed the rental income to basically help cover the carrying costs. So that's what we did. And it worked great. We looked at using a property manager at the time. Property managers in Colorado at the time took about 50% of your gross rent for their management fee. So... We were looking for a better option than that. That's where we found the websites, VRBO, and for really nominal dollars, put it on there, and it, it rented up very successfully. So that was 1999. We ended up 
selling that one to our partner in 2007. And Joe, you've been in the real estate industry. So 2007 was probably the peak of the real estate bubble. So we saw huge appreciation. The property tripled in value in about seven or eight years. So when you reflect back on that, you say, well, that was great, probably a bubble. So we turned around and bought another one in Vail. This is the best ever show. That second one's probably the worst ever (laughs) investment. Bought it at the absolute peak of the market. And I remember doing the financing at the time, which mortgages, they seemed to just give away and we had perfectly fine credit and all that, but we were starting to struggle getting a mortgage, which was at the time a bizarre experience. Little did we know behind the scenes, the mortgage markets were really melting down. But anyway, we we closed that one, but bought it at the peak of the market. What'd you buy it for? Um, That was about $850,000. Okay. It dropped precipitously. I think the market just came back. It took about 10 years to come back. It just came back recently. In fact, we just sold it a year ago for a little bit less than 900000 Good for you. But we put about 100000 of improvements oh, into it too. So, <laughs> And the first several years, we had to support it operationally. Okay. Again, this is my worst deal ever. And yeah. anybody does everything. Not everything always works out great. Yep. But we sold that one and then bought a very tired, rundown property in the heart of Vail, which is a great location, mm-hmm. and kind of immediately saw the opportunity. Had a contractor that had done some remodeling projects with us in Vail, and immediately we got to the place last summer, ripped out everything. So we put an all new everything. It's a small unit, 850 square feet, but a great location at 75 yards from the gondola. And we put it in the short-term rental market, and that type of central location, the rentals were just super strong. And the property turned out great. The rentals are super strong, and we're personally excited to be really close in where we can walk to restaurants and the slopes and bars and that type of thing. But from a real estate perspective, we'll see over time, but I'm excited about kind of getting in. And this property was very beaten up, and so I think we got it at a good price, put in the work and dollars to improve it, and I think we're well situated now on that one. Ah, Nice. Lessons learned, that's for sure. When you think about your experience as a short-term landlord, and then also you have one long-term. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? I was in this camp for years. I've always fashioned myself. Joe, I'm sure you're a real estate expert. I have a couple of properties. I'm in the short-term rental space, but we have this tax automation solution. But I still think of myself somewhat as a real estate novice or did for years. And always kind of looking at doing things, but not pulling the trigger. So my advice is to just take action, Mm -hmm. jump in, do something. That doesn't mean you want to do anything stupidly, obviously, but I was just talking to one of the young folks here. They're looking at buying a house in Denver. Denver's become a very expensive market for real estate over the last several years. And I was talking about the first home I bought 25 years ago and I got married and we upgraded and that whole story. I said, look, back, this was the mid nineties. We thought it was all super expensive and super hot then. So (laughs) I remember friends telling me I wouldn't get on this market and the first home we bought in central Denver, we sold three and a half years later for 60% appreciation. Mm-hmm. So I guess my point is you can always look to time the market or wait for the next correction or crash, but just take action. If you have an interest, you got some capital, you think you have a sound investment plan. I mean, it's obviously important to have a plan and run the numbers and the math to make sure it makes sense. But at some point you just got to jump in and take action. And I think with that taking action, it's also having a fallback plan or at least a reserve or something, because if you do accidentally time it for a 2007 
purchased and you've got to be able to float that property for a period of time, right? That's a very good comment. You can't necessarily go all in. You need to be capitalized such that if the rental market doesn't materialize as expected or rates drop, that you do have kind of the capital or the staying power to kind of ride it out. You don't want to be over leveraged or that mortgage payment too high or extend too much for property that's going to put you in a really bad position. So absolutely, there, there needs to be a kind of a level of prudent planning and thoughtful analysis that goes into these. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. If you own a rental property, TransUnion Smart Move can help you identify the right renter from the start so you can avoid the problems of non-payment or evictions. Don't put yourself at risk. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. With TransUnion Smart Move, you'll get great reports, great convenience, great tenants. What if you could earn 10000 per month net cash flow for life? Now you can at the Residential Assisted Living Academy. Gene Corino teaches you how to take a single family house and turn it into a cash flow machine. Visit ralacademy.com to learn more. Best ever book you've recently read? The Big Short. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction that we haven't talked about? Not enough due diligence. Best ever deal you've done? That would probably be my first condo in Vail that tripled in value over eight years. And with not enough due diligence on the mistake, will you elaborate like an example of where you didn't do enough due diligence? Just not researching the market well enough and maybe understanding the property well enough. Best ever way you like to give back to the community? This is going to be self-serving, Joe. I really think I'm an entrepreneur. I started a company, so I think employing people is, is very powerful. So I like for the people that work here, really like to take care of them, give them opportunity. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? Anyone interested can go to our website, mylodgetax.com, and learn all about our tax automation solutions. Well, thank you so much, Rob, for being on the show. And sounds like you got a great out-of-the-box solution for short-term rental landlords to help them make sure they're compliant with the taxes that they will need to pay, whether they know it or not, they need to pay them. And I did not know the taxes were so high that, I mean, you said the average tax is 10 to 12% of the gross rent. And in some markets, 15% or higher if it's an urban market. And Chicago, oh, oh, Chicago. <laughs> right. It <laughs> uh, doesn't surprise me that they've got yeah. tax on this. They've got some things to work out. But thank Indeed. you, Bob, for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day. Really appreciate your time. And we'll talk to you again soon. Happy to do it. Thanks, Joe. What if you could earn 10000 per month net cash flow for life? Now you can at the Residential Assisted Living Academy. Gene Corino teaches you how to take a single family house and turn it into a cash flow machine. Visit ralacademy.com to learn more.